My name's Colin, and I'm one of the leaders. And if you're here for the first time, boy, this is a great uh, Sunday for you to jump in on. A uh, little bit different to some of our normal ones. We're concluding, we're, we're continuing in our series called Uncomfortable. So I want to talk about some things that are uncomfortable today. And um, if you're a guest here this morning, Brittany mentioned this earlier, but you might not have caught it. Um, just say hello in the comments, and we'd love to get back in touch with you. Send you a direct message, um, and just make. T- uh, con- connection with you and say hi. Uh, we also have a gift for you as well that we'll, we'll send to you, but uh, we'll do that later. But uh, you'd love to, to connect with anybody that's here for the first time at Anthem. Thanks for joining us. As I said, we've been talking about, um, we, we've been talking about, uh, we've been doing a series of talks we've been calling Uncomfortable. And there's so many uncomfortable things that are really worth talking about um, in these days that sometimes we don't want to talk about and we want to kind of keep our distance from. And I want to make a bit of a confession this morning as I start. And that's that, um, well, there's things that I wish I'd been told when I was a newer Christian, when I was a younger guy, and somebody had told me some of this stuff that we're going to talk about today, because I feel like it would have helped the way that I act and react to people who are outside of the Christian faith. And as some of you may know, and some of you might be like looking down your nose at this today going, yep, that's right. Some of you may know that Christianity and Christians stand or fall sometimes on how they go about acting towards those who are outside Christianity, have different views and different opinions. And I can honestly confess, I can look back on times when I was particularly judgmental about towards people who didn't believe the same as I did, that had a different approach to me on how to do life and different worldview to me. And I was pretty damning towards some people when it would have been better if I would have had the approach of Jesus, which would be to show love to people who are outside uh, the Christian world. And, you know, Jesus gave Christians their marching orders by in Matthew 28 when he said, "'Go and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. He, he talked to this group of people that didn't have any influence, didn't have any power, didn't have any control, didn't really have any way of affecting change or changing culture or anything like that. That wasn't, in their, uh, in, wasn't on their agenda. He's like, go and love people, make more followers, uh, baptize them, and then after you've done all that, start to teach them. Start to teach these new followers about what it means to to follow me. And this um, fledgling group of followers of Jesus Christ, this new kind of cult-like thing that that just started blowing up, um, grew in number and grew all over the Roman Empire until by about AD 300, it was had such influence that Christianity had the stamp of approval on it from the emperor and became the state religion. It became the, the, the dominant religion of the West. And then what happens, what happens when, when that happens is that all of a sudden you get this, this marriage of Christianity and power. Because all of a sudden the Christians who were kind of before, they were like at the bottom. And they were like the, the underdogs in culture and society. All of a sudden they could walk around with their heads held high because they wouldn't get arrested. Because Christianity was now on top. And really, what started then was this thing that you might have heard of, and this word that's used in history, and it's called Christendom. And Christendom meant that it was kind of the world where the Christian world was kind of at the center of culture and sort of controlled everything else that was around it and was, was on top. 
And that went on for about 1,700 years. And sociologists tell us that Christendom kind of came to an end around the end of the 20th century. And we now live in what many call kind of a post-Christian world. Uh, Andy Stanley, a pastor in Georgia, says that at some point, the message that the disciples had been given on that day on the mountain just before Jesus ascended into heaven got shifted subtly. Over time, they weren't about making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus had commanded them. They were more saying something like this, therefore go and impose my teaching, my values, my worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I commanded you. Subtle but serious shift, right? Things had changed, and that's the message of a group that has power. That's the message of a, of a, of a group that, that has influence, that can, can, can suddenly realize that we're on top politically, and we can make an impact politically as well. And Jesus and his followers didn't have power, but within a couple of years of history, the Christian world had become the central and the most powerful and controlling worldview that we call Christendom. And this is in stark contrast, I think, to what Jesus said. And that is, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, it wasn't the intent of Paul or the early disciples. He wasn't talking about coercing people or driving them or powering up. In fact, often he talks about being a slave in order to win people over taking a subordinate position so that people could be won over and not convinced by him driving them or coercing them into following Jesus. And something changed from the God is love message to the God is going to get you message. And there's this one passage of scripture that I think is really revealing about how we as followers of Jesus, if you follow Christ, are supposed to act towards those who don't follow Christ. And as I said, I started out being fairly judgmental as a younger Christian, and I wish I'd heard some of this sort of teaching way back then and was able to understand how I, as a new follower of Jesus, should respond and react to those around me who don't and who have a different worldview. Now, Paul, um, Paul, the apostle who, who put together much of the New Testament with his, with his letters that he wrote to different churches, wrote a letter, actually wrote a couple of letters that are in the New Testament to a city called Corinth. He actually wrote three or four letters to Corinth, and it appears that we've lost two of them, and two of them are part of our New Testament in the, in the, in the Bible. And Corinth was a city with a pretty rough reputation, a city uh, with a reputation of being fairly sensual, of having a lot of perverse sexual activity in, in it. It was kind of a Las Vegas of, of the Greek world at the time. You know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, that sort of thing. So uh, he gets this news that there's something kind of nasty going on in the Corinthian church. And he wants to address this in his letter and give insight on how followers of Jesus should react to people who are followers of Jesus but are acting like they're not. And also to people who are outside of the community as well. So in 1 Corinthians 5, let me read what he said. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. Now, that sounds pretty gross right there. Like He's saying that there's clearly some standards that exist for people who follow Christ. And then there's obviously the, whatever standards there are for people who don't. Uh, two different uh, views on how our sexuality is supposed to be handled. 
But he's saying there's stuff going on among you in the Christian community that is so gross and icky that even pagans, even people who follow pagan religions think, oh, you know, come on, you don't, don't, you don't deal with that. Like that don't, don't handle yourselves that like That's just gross. And so you want to know what, what fits into that category as far as these people were concerned? Uh, as the verse carries on, it says, a man with, is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Like, how messed up had these people got where in this community of believers, someone's sleeping with his father's wife, and they think it's okay. Now, it's not totally clear exactly who he's sleeping with. It seems like it's an ongoing thing. Uh, I don't think he's sleeping with his mother. That, I think Paul would have been specific about that. Maybe, that, I mean, that obviously takes it to a, another level of grossness, but uh, it's probably that he's having a relationship with his stepmother, and maybe his stepmother's still married to, uh, to his father, or maybe she isn't. But either way, it's activity that the pagans are like, don't, as the verses don't even tolerate. Even non-church people were like, okay, you shouldn't be doing that. It just seems like something's going on, and why is the church proud of it? Now, this little church here is uh, probably in Corinth, probably less than 100 people might meet in someone's home or a large you know, hall somewhere or something, and, and, but it's, it's definitely the kind of size where you know everybody's business, you know what's going on, and if something uh, is not being addressed, it's, it's basically being swept under the rug because everybody knows it's happening. Paul carries on saying in these verses, shouldn't you have rather gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this. Clearly, it's the man who's part of the, the, man who's part of the, uh, the church community. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. And Paul's making it clear. It, it might be uncomfortable, but we've got to address it. I'm not there, but I've evaluated what's going on, and I have passed judgment on the perpetrator in this whole situation. Now, you, you want to be like, wait, Paul, doesn't the Bible say do not judge? And if you remember, or if you've read the Gospels, you might have read that place where Jesus says, do not judge. Those three words have been used so much in history and, um, and I want us to think about them just for a, for a hot second here. Have you ever um, uh, heard somebody who is your favorite candidate, maybe this year since we're in election year, your favorite candidate for president gets accused of saying something, and then you want to be the one that says, well, wait a minute, um, that was completely taken out of context. You didn't know what he was saying around that. And if it's not your favorite con uh, candidate for president, if it's the, 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 the opposite party, you might be the first to say, well, he said these three words, you know. And I think it's clear that that's what happens here with a lot of, a lot of the way that people view those words that Jesus said. In fact, I would challenge you to go do a Google search, find out where Jesus said, do not judge, and just read not only those three words, but read the sentence and read the paragraph and read the sermon and read the context where Jesus said that and see if you can't learn something else about what Jesus was saying because in and around that passage, he was making all kinds of judgments. And I think I'm not going to go into it now. We can, I'd be happy to chat to anyone about it anytime. But let's remember that that the, the, the Bible doesn't necessarily say we shouldn't judge, but the Bible as a whole, when you look back, it makes it clear who we're to judge and who we're not. 
It's kind of become one of the favorite verses of people who were trying to get Christians off their back for judging their activity. And they, they might have a point. But the Bible doesn't tell us to not judge. It tells us who to judge. And Paul's really intent to say at the end of verse 3, as one present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. And here's a big question. Why? How does Paul get to do that if somewhere else in the Scripture there's this phrase that says, do not judge? And the point is, is this. He's speaking specifically to those in the Christian community. And this guy who's doing this heinous sexual sin is in the Christian community. Here's a man who's signed on the dotted line. He's most likely been baptized and made that public declaration of his faith in Christ that we believe is the right thing to do after somebody makes a choice to follow Jesus. He's on the inside, but he's acting like somebody who's on the outside. And he's doing stuff that even non-believers think is gross. And he says, Paul says in verse 4 as it carries on, so when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over, over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of our Lord. Now, this, this uh, uh, phrase, like hand this man over to Satan or release this man over to Satan, it's kind of, um, it's kind of legal language essentially saying something like Satan is going to be your parole officer. You know, it's like, welcome to, this, like, I'd like to introduce you to your parole officer, the devil. You know, how does that sound? Um, but he's going to be the one who, uh, who is, going to, is going to allow you to be handed over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. And there's a lot of ways that that, that passage can be interpreted. But the one important point to notice is that it is in the hope that his spirit may be rescued and restored. The goal is not damnation. The goal is restoration. And so this is the way that, uh, that, that, that Paul wants to respond to followers of Jesus. Now, now, I said earlier that Paul had written other letters to the Corinthian church, and there might have been one or two letters that um, have been lost and never become part of the New Testament, but Paul refers to them in his writings. And as he carries on talking in verse 9, he starts to make things clearer about things that he may have even put in, the, in one of those letters. Verse 9 says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And presumably the people who are, who are listening to this letter are realizing, yep, we remember that. We heard that in the letter that you wrote to us on another occasion. And then he kind of clarifies the whole thing in case they misunderstood it. And he said, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral greedy, swindlers, or idolaters. I'm not, I'm not talking about them. In that case, you would have to leave this world. So he's making it clear. You, you don't need to be, uh, as followers of Jesus, you don't need to disengage with society. You don't need to create a whole total subculture. He knows that we've got to remain in the world. We've got to be continually rubbing shoulders with people with whom we completely disagree on their worldview. So we hear Paul saying, like, don't disengage. But then he continues in verse 11. And he says, now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who, you see what it says right there, claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, 
or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Isn't that fascinating that, that Paul's specifically saying if there are people in the Christian community who are acting like they're not, and I, I find it interesting that he says if somebody calls themselves a brother or a sister, now they wouldn't have called themselves a Christian because that term uh, you know, wasn't even used by then. It was a term that was used to talk about Christians. Um, but if they call themselves a brother or sister, I, are they, as in if they're right in the Christian community, they, they call this, maybe they call a church their church home. That's where they, they get the Christian fellowship. That's where they get taught and encouraged, and that's where they give, and that's where they serve, and all the rest of it. If somebody is committed to the church and yet is living that way, Paul goes as far as saying, you don't even eat with them. It's not even culturally right to, to, to sit down and have a meal with them. So what I'm reading as I read this, and this I hope will help us understand the, the, the way to handle people inside the, the community of faith and outside, is that Paul says we don't have any right to judge people who have never signed up to say they're following Jesus. We can't hold people who don't live by God's standards to God's standards. We're supposed to hold accountable those who are brothers and sisters inside the church community. Now, wouldn't it be incredible if we spent more time policing ourselves and holding ourselves accountable to true and godly standards than if we were to hold people outside the church community to those standards? Here's where Paul wraps this up, and I think, I think Paul puts, like, puts a bow on it right here and, and, and kind of neatly packages this. And this is a thing that, uh, that, that was, I've said already, but I think we can remember this as God's word. Verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Fascinating, isn't it? And I, it's, it's, like I said at the beginning, it's one of those things I wish I had learned decades ago. Because it's none of my business, and it's none of your business, if you follow Christ, to judge those who don't. What if we were to use love and uh, uh, if we were to use love to inspire people to follow Jesus? Like Paul said, I become a slave to individuals so that I might win them. It's God's job, God's job to judge those outside, and He does not need your help. And it's our job to judge those inside. Now, mums and dads, you know how this works. And kids, if you if you're a parent, you know how this works because uh, you know that. In your house, you have rules under which your family lives by, right? I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, and as your kids get older, like our kids are older, so they, those rules are kind of more like norms that we live within now. Um, but with younger kids, you, they're used to having rules. But it would be weird, wouldn't it, if you went into somebody else's house and somebody else's family without being given authority and started to throw your weight around in their family because you're, you're, you're imposing your rules and your ways and your norms on someone else's family. And so the, the concept of this even makes sense in the natural world. But if you're a follower of Christ, you are in God's family. And it is for us to hold one another accountable to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. 
That's what God's Word says. We're to, we're to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. Now, I, um, I love environments where people who are not followers of Jesus, but are in a sense like peering, peering through the window of Christianity, checking out the, the website of a church or something. I love environments where people who are not following Jesus can look into the Christian world and learn what it's all about without feeling judged. And you know that there are environments where they do feel judged. And so one of the things that at Anthem we have been committed to over these last couple of years, and I want to just remind you that we're about to start again, is this thing we do at Anthem called Alpha. And it's a great opportunity. It's an environment for anybody who isn't a follower of Jesus to check out Christianity, in a sense, to kind of look under the hood. I like that phrase. So look under the hood and see what it's all about without feeling that sense of like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be asked to pray out loud or like asked to confess my deepest sins on day one or something like that. And so we've been doing this thing called Alpha. And I want to encourage anybody here who might be, maybe you feel like you're checking out Christianity. You're, you're looking under the hood of Christianity to see if it's for you to take a look at Alpha and to join us for one of the Alpha sessions. And, or there might be somebody that you can, you, maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, and you can bring somebody with you to check out Alpha, knowing completely that they're going to be in safe hands. I, I want you to watch this video. This will take like two minutes of your time, and it just introduces what Alpha is all about. Okay, so watch this video, and I've got to give you a quick caveat. This is going to seem very unsocially distanced when you watch this video. We're going to edit our version of Alpha so, so, that, it lo- so that it feels a bit more appropriate for like 2020. So um, take a look at this. Life is busy. Every day we ask questions like, what's happening today? What should I wear? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are bigger questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? These are some of life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through. That's why Alpha exists. Alpha is a place to explore life's big questions in a safe and open environment. It's a series of sessions where anyone can share their thoughts and opinions and ask questions without feeling judged. When you come to an Alpha, you'll notice that first, there's food. Whether it's a full meal or a light snack, this is the time to get to know each other in a casual setting. Next, you'll watch an Alpha talk. The talks are created to engage and spark conversation. They explore big issues around faith from a Christian perspective. After the talk is a time for discussion, This is the most essential part of any Alpha. It allows everyone to share their own opinions on the ideas presented in the talks. It's a time for people with different thoughts, beliefs, and experiences to ask honest questions and have open conversation. Every week, there are guests coming for the first time to an Alpha in their community. Alpha is for everyone, regardless of background or beliefs. There's no pressure, no follow-up, and it's completely free to attend. Come and explore life's big questions. Find an Alpha near you today.
Yeah, so if you're someone who's checking out Christianity, I hope that that seems slightly inspiring to you and you realize that I can come to this and not feel any sense of like, I'm going to get phone called if I don't show up or something like this. But uh, we're going to do a combination of a physical and a digital one. We'll call this fidgetal, okay? It's going to be partly in real life and partly on Zoom. And the first night, which is going to be Tuesday, August 4th, is going to be actually in my backyard. And you saw that um, uh, uh, when we, if you were here for the hosting at the beginning of our stream today, you saw the, the backyard it's going to be in. We're going to be uh, hosting Alpha out there. We're going to have prepackaged meals so you don't have to touch anyone else's food. We're going to wear masks and we're going to socially distance. And we're going to do our absolute best to keep safe anybody that wants to join us for that. They'll be, we'll be watching a short bit of uh, video on a projector screen. Of course, if it's bad weather, we will shift to online and we'll let everybody know. But if you're interested in either joining us for Alpha or if you feel like I would love to bring this friend of mine that has got somewhat of an interest in faith and what Anthem is doing, bring that friend with you. Um, and so, Anthem, you can check out Alpha. Uh, go to anthemchurch.life and scroll all the way down, and you'll see Alpha at the bottom of the page there. So anthemchurch.life, click on that tab that has something to do with Alpha, and you can find out all about it. I would love to have you join me for that. I'm going to be hosting it along with a team of friends that are going to help me do it and uh, love to have you. Even if you just come for the first one, come check out Alpha, judgment-free zone. Can you imagine, Anthem, what our reputation could be like if, as a church, we could spend our time policing our own behavior and not the rest of the world, and then when we go forward in this strategy, people don't feel coerced or uh, by the church, they feel drawn. People don't feel pressured. They would feel won over. They may feel some guilt, but they don't feel condemned. And I believe that that is the Jesus way. That is the way that Jesus has asked us to respond and to react to those who may not yet believe or agree with anything that you preach. But I believe that there are some as we position ourselves as servants to the world, we could win them over and, and win them over with joy and with love to all that God has for them. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray today that as I and as we interact with our world and the people that you have put around us, I pray that you will help us to graciously and lovingly awaken everyone around us to the life that you have for us. Not bringing, condemn, not, not bringing condemnation, but bringing joy. Not bringing judgment, but bringing faith and hope in a God that loves all of us. And God, I pray that where our hearts have so often become hardened to the tough world that is around us, I pray that we will see opportunities for us to reach out with the love of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world where you have put a soften our hearts, I pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray.